Welcome to another episode of the Shifting Podcast. Today we are sitting here with Anna Marie Segoy. I've always wondered how you said the last <laughs> name. I'm not even going to butcher it. Um, visiting here actually right now from Cambodia. And of course, Arthur is to my left here. What's up, everybody? So we're pretty excited to uh, have you on the show because you haven't been in the United States for how long? 14 months. That's a while to be away. It's a very long minute. How long have you uh, been back in uh, the States? Just about a week in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, and then now Indianapolis. So I'm happy to be back and see all the friends and family and growth of this city. Culture shock? Very much. Yeah. There's a lot of fat people here. No offense, <laughs> no offense U.S., but man. Wow. Yeah. And well, not I mean, bowing. I want to bow all the time. Like, sorry. You're also coming from Japan and the East, so you're, you're talking about smaller people than, say, Ed. Yeah, or right. me, for that matter. And that was when I, when I went to Thailand the first time. My wife's like, oh, no, you, I don't want you walking around out and about. You know, there's a lot of areas that aren't safe and whatnot. And I looked at her. And, you know, she's five feet, 105 pounds. And I said, I want you to answer this honestly. I'm 240 pounds, heavily tattooed, and I'm a foot taller than everyone else. What's the realistic chances of me getting mugged? And she was like, hey, you probably won't. But even still, just be careful. There's like 10,000 of you, though. Yeah, right. Everywhere in Thailand. Expats Uh, everywhere. When I was in Japan, I had people come up and be like, sumo, sumo. (laughs) Really? Wow. They would touch really? me. I lived in Japan too, and they would touch my boobs. Touch them. I'm like, ah. Yeah, you're tall. Wait, isn't it Japan where they thought you were John Goodman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. What? It was. I was. I was doing I a, a sake intensive there, and um, like all week, a buddy of mine, um, well, not that big of a buddy of mine, was like, "You remind me of somebody." You know, you you remind me of somebody. And I'm like, whatever, man, whatever. And after like five or six days, he's like. John Goodman. And I was like, you little <laughs> shit. You get the impulse to tell someone they look like John Goodman. Don't. You know, just so. But yeah, um, lots of small things. Well, let's get kicked off. Let's uh, make our make our rounds. What did we uh, drink last night? What did we drink last night? Um, I had bubbles. Go figure. Surprise. Yeah, what a surprise. Um, just Spanish cava by uh, Poema. So nothing grand, nothing crazy. Just an expensive little sparkler. Other than that, I was good. Nice. All right. Um, I broke into my dad's wine collection, uh, which he thinks is very fancy, but it's not. Oh, maybe not so So we had to throw out a few bottles, which he then was like, no, save them. I'm like, Dad, it's turned. He was like, it tastes like, I was like, it tastes like coins. You know, (laughs) I don't know how to explain that to you. He was like, well, no, I'll put it in uh, something. I'll put in some juice. All right, you keep it. So I had some good wine and some bad wine. Do you remember the producers? Sorry? Do we what they were? The bottles? Uh, one was a... No. It was mostly things I've never heard of. There's a lot of uh, Oliver Winery. <laughs> so the, the... They make a lot of wine. They do make a lot of wine. They um, sell a lot of wine There's not well. a lot of Blanc de Blanc or anything that I would really enjoy, actually, drinking. Ed? Rum, I assume? I did, yeah. I was um, dipped quite deeply into a bottle of... Uh, the Stiggins Fancy Plantation Pineapple, mm. uh, quite deeply into that, <laughs> and a few glasses of the Dictador 20, which I've mentioned before, is kind of just a, a, a grab-and-go bottle for me at home. It's not horribly expensive, and it's it's decently made rum, so um, yeah, no big surprise there. Rum, that's Although weird. I did make a beautiful <laughs> rum cake over the holidays. 
Did you? I did. Nobody drank or nobody ate it because it really was like <laughs> drinking it. Uh, only a little bit of it got eaten because I make it with a rum fire. You and, baker? Uh, what's that? I didn't know you were a baker. I don't know if making a rum cake is calling me a baker. Was it more rum than cake, be honest? It was a little bit more rum than cake, yeah. There's two cups of rum in my cake. So you still have some is what you're saying, right? I gave it to my chefs. Ah. Yeah. I, I turned it smoke over. around the cake. <laughs> uh, well, we broke that rule, too. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, I wanted to kind of get into it with Maurice because, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we kind of went on air here, but... Um, you're originally from Indianapolis, yes. but you did not tend bar. You were not in the business at yes. that time. I uh, led a completely different life. <laughs> I had the real job. I made my family happy for a while. Real jobs suck. Right? Uh, no, I, I got, it was, it was good for a while. Um, I love hair and school of art and design. Um, but after seven years or so, you know, sometimes things just become a little stagnant. So I, um, up in uh, moved to Japan, and then France, and then uh, Chicago. How's that happen? Like, <laughs> what was the connection? Was there a person? Was there um, a, an so institution? I've been lucky enough to travel to Europe a lot um, for different reasons, um, and I thought about moving there, but it's a little bit easy in a way. You know, you can read the street signs, and you can, right. you know, romance languages are not that hard to figure out if you're reading a sign or something. But I had never been to Asia, and. I was doing research on teaching English because that's the easiest way, right, to to get there. Uh, so I picked Japan and I applied for about thirty jobs and I got most of them and just picked the one with the best paying job. Yeah, the East is a total culture shock. I mean, Completely. It's just, it's just well, so even different. Japan from Cambodia are night and day. I mean, they're as different as the U.S. is. And then France, I just I speak French uh, and I, you know, it's a beautiful country. I couldn't get the visa though, which was hard. Hmm. So I was an au pair and I taught English and piano there. All right, so you are a complete Renaissance woman. <laughs> I try, <It's> awesome. <laughs> especially your age. You're like, oh yeah. By the way, I taught piano and English, and <laughs> well, and I also did furniture here. So that's what I graduated with at Heron. And a furniture maker. Yeah, you know, that's casual. what you should have been looking for is those French furniture making jobs, right? <laughs> Damn, fuck. you're like finally somebody that's bilingual that can make furniture. <laughs> so what gig did you get in Japan? Uh, English teacher. I go sensei. <clears throat> three years of Japanese. The only thing I can say is I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> Although it did give me, it saved my ass in Sicily once because I was at this bus stop that was, it was a terrible, I, I still didn't believe even after buying the tickets that that was actually the bus stop or the bus station. Right. Sorry, because it. it was horribly scary. It looked like the place where you would hide a dead body. And even after buying my ticket on the inside, I was like, there's no way. There was a Japanese guy sitting next to me. So I just like leaned over and I was like, hey, are you Japanese? And he, his eyes all lit up because I said it in Japanese. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And then he let out a barrage of words I can't understand. And so do you guys want to know a secret? Yeah, let's go. My last name isn't really my last name. Nobody really knows this except my closest friends or people that uh, write me checks or buy me tickets. Um, but since you guys have a little Japanese, Sagoi. Sagoi. You know what it means? No. It means Wow. Oh, that's right. They say it all the time. And I was divorced a long time ago and was like, fuck it, I'll just pick a new name, right? You have a stage name. I do. That's and nobody knows cool. it. I'm not kidding. Well, now everybody well, knows it. Right. Sure, why not? Prior to today, no one So, knew yeah, it. I thought Segoy sounded like it could be Italian, maybe. And, yeah, and it's it good is. wow and wow and bad wow. Kind of like me, I feel like good you and bad. Do you have a stage wow. name, Ed? <laughs> not <laughs> no, yet. I don't. Yeah. No. It's not too late. Well, if I spend any more time in Italy, I'll just change my last name to Rudicelli. <laughs> Rudicelli. 
I like it. Go, goes well with the... Uh, well, actually, I was going to say it goes well with the red hair. Everybody will believe I'm Italian then. But that's actually... When I went to Palermo for the first time, <clears throat> I was shocked to see red-headed kids running around all over the place because of the Norman Little influence. gingers. There's a lot of gingers in Sicily huh. uh, because of the Normans being there for a length of time. So mm. it's very weird to see these pale-skinned, red-headed kids running around in this like blistering heat, sun beating down on a giant rock. They're taking over. <laughs> the Normans? The I gingers. Think, oh, gingers. Oh, okay. Gingers. I, was like, I, don't, I think the Normans are done. So you ended up in Chicago. Yes. After all was said and done. Right. Um, so when you got into bartending, was that like a, a career choice or was so that like a happy accident? Here's an, Well, yes. I feel like everyone started by accident, right? Um, here's another thing most people don't know. Uh, <laughs> I applied for a job at Nightwood because um, it was a sister restaurant of Lula. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend had lived there for a while mm-hmm. and she said, oh, Lula's this really cool place uh, and there's a place opening in Pilsen, which is where we were living. So I applied for it and I totally lied my balls off. So I said I bartended in Japan because I was like, how are they going to check? You know, are they going to call? And then wouldn't you know it, the woman hiring me is half Japanese. Oh, uh, no. She never checked my references, though. So, yeah, I faked it till I made it. Um, I learned carefully. Uh, there's a lot of really talented people. Actually, one of them later became the GM at the Dawson, which was my first uh, beverage director place, Clint Rogers. Um, so there's a talented team there. And I just watch. I'm like, oh, you stir this now? Oh, you shake this one? Wait, bitters? What? So... That's, That's how when I got started. I think I first crossed paths with you is while you were at the Dawson because I'm friends with uh, Patrick Russ. Yeah. He's um, great. Who's now at Seven Hoosier. Lions. Yeah, that's right. Another mm-hmm. uh, Indianapolis guy, and he's at Seven Lions uh, with Alpana Singh. Right. And, like, he's killing it up there. He's still there, you know? Um, but that's kind of when I became aware of it. You've, you've opened other places since then. I mean, you were opening crew sure. of other places because weren't you kind of opening crew of Drifter? Yes, that Liz Pierce and I um, were the managers. She's the uh, managing partner, and I was just there to try to help keep everything together. I love that place. Me too. I can't wait to go see it again. Yeah, you ever been there, Arthur? I have not. It's I yeah. It's one of the only speakeasies that's still a speakeasy and stays true to the theme. So during Prohibition, it um, operated. There's a stage and. Uh, still, there's burlesque shows, sideshow, contortionists, oh, right and I actually designed the menu too. They're tarot cards, it's and the there's a total. There's about so 40 jealous. of them, and every night they'll just put out eight different ones. So they look like tarot cards, but the name is a cocktail on top, and then there's ingredients. It's a really cool concept. It's tiny, so get there early. How many seats? About 38. Yeah. And that tarot card concept, who, who came up with that idea? Liz must have. If it wasn't her, it was the other owner. Because I think it was Liz. I'm so jealous of that concept <laughs> because it's, it's genius. You go in and they just like literally like eight tar- <clears throat> tarot cards in front of you. You're like, here you go. And you're like, what People the hell is steal going them on? all the time, though. And Liz oh, and I, I just cry. I spent so many um, hours designing them and she spent you know, a lot of money paying for them. That's the other side of the coin of having cool stuff. Right? right. Oh, yeah. yeah. They so can, can't they have will. anything nice. It, yeah, exactly. If it's branded, they're going to take it. I'm entitled. I want this. Mm-hmm. I will take it. Make it mine. But, so, I mean, you did Dawson, Drifter, but I remember seeing rumblings before you ended up in Southeast Asia of a vermouth bar. Yes. That's actually inadvertently how I got to Cambodia. So, okay. So, uh, David Shai is my business partner for Le Boutier in Cambodia. Um, he was and is my partner for Artemisia. So, we've been working on that for a year very diligently you know we had a video going for it we got mentions and really cool publications uh we actually went through all of italy and france and went through every uh major vermouth production facility 
And before we were getting ready to get that going and, and settle on a space, we got an offer to do some consulting for out, uh, in Cambodia. And he's uh, French Khmer, French Cambodian. Never been there before, just as a lot of us haven't been to Germany or Ireland or whatever makes us up. Um, so it was our first time. We had no idea what to expect. It's Cambodia, right? Who knows? You just think of little babies in the streets or Angel and Jilly or something. Uh, we were. <laughs> I don't think Angelina Jolie uh, is the first one that comes to well, mind. She's kind of been a, a spokesperson for okay. it. She's a citizen there, and oh, really? I actually saw her talk there. Yeah, she's adopted there. Tomb Raider was shot there. So you saw her taco. I saw her talk there. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, get I'm your like, mind out of the gutter. Like, Whoa, that <laughs> that's just happened too much. <laughs> yeah, I saw her. Taco. Next time I see her, I'll ask and uh, asking for a friend. Um, anyhow, so <laughs> asking for a friend. We. Uh, Fell in love with it. It's a beautiful region, just as, uh, you know, Thailand, Vietnam, they all are. And it's behind the times. They did have a genocide about four to five decades ago. Killed a quarter of the people. That'd be four, because that was alive. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't make me older than I am. <laughs> it was uh, 75 to 79. And they are, and it was not just random quarter of the population. It was all the, um, the doctors and anybody that was educated. So they suffer a lot to this day because of that. And I'm not in an NGO or doing charity work, but I noticed that there is definitely uh, a gap where food and beverage is concerned. So there's cocktail bars. Um, they're getting better now. There's a few down the street also that are kind of doing the same thing that we are. Um, but we wanted to make more of a destination spot because other than seeing the killing fields and the genocide museum, there's not much to see in Phnom Penh. So we're trying to change that. Right. I mean, that's of all places in Southeast Asia. I mean, I, you mentioned your business partner, um, which kind of led you into Cambodia. But I mean, you could have gone anywhere you traveled yeah. all over Asia. It seems like you could have just kind of thrown a dart and been fine anywhere. But, you know, like you said, you know, Cambodia or Kampuchas, yeah. stay in Asia um, has gone through the genocide and still is very much reeling from that. You know, why choose Phnom Penh? Versus like Chiang Mai, which you had mentioned that you really like uh, northern Thailand or... They just need a lot more help. And even, you know, Chicago, that we still talk about opening uh, that place. But let's be honest, you know, how many more bars does Chicago need or New York or San Francisco? Places uh, like Phnom Penh really need outside help, outside education. You can open one here. It's true. (laughs) I've thought about it. I think uh, what they call second tier markets are are uh, much more viable, in my opinion, than just trying to break into, you know, oh, let's open up a bar in New York. Okay, you'll be closed in a year unless you strike gold, you know? Yeah. What would the theme be? If it was in Indianapolis? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> like she's going to give away her secrets. Yeah, right. Like, go ahead. Well, I mean, even, you know, the vermouth, low ABV thing, that's, as much as I don't think it's a trend, it's something I truly love. I think vermouth and I was just Amari about to say, like, is there great. a specific genre of alcohol? Like, you know, obviously adds way into rum. Mezcal is my, my sweetheart. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I know we're all, we're all three Mezcal fans. That just happened. And we can actually get some really good ones out. So we get all the Dalmagay, Alipus, Illegal. We have, you dig uh, on Vago? We do have Vago, yeah. Yeah, Vago is Vago in mm-hmm. Cambodia. Well, anything that can get to Singapore through Proofing Company, we can get. Which okay. actually puts us at an advantage more so even than Thailand. My friend is running a bar in Bangkok and he's like, we can't even get chartreuse. And I'm like, we can. It's $28. That Have you spent US. any time in Oaxaca? Yeah. Yeah, I went down on one of the Del Gay trips. Yeah, so. it's a great city. Got to see a lot of Palenques. So 
explain the idea behind Le Boutier. So, so you end up in, in Cambodia. Yeah, so we end up there. You've got to conceptualize something because you've got to reach out to your your client base. Sure. So initially it was just for consulting, like I said, and then we kind of made a, a rash decision to <laughs> open a bar there. Um, like, screw but, it, pack your bags. Yeah, right? He's like, no, seriously, you have to move here. I'm like, okay. It was only supposed to be for four months, and then I was supposed to move back to Chicago and open Artemisia. Anyhow, the concept is based, uh, so it's called Le Boutier, and that's my business partner David's family name, his uh, mother's family name. So she was a quarter French and three quarters Cambodian. And she, along with many people, had to flee during the genocide. And a lot of his family was killed. Um, so it's name, it's kind of an homage to that family. And also the theme, the center theme is 60s Cambodia, um, rock and roll. So they had a golden era before the war, which a lot of people don't know, especially ones that live there. There's expats that have lived there five years and all they know is the war and after. Um, but it was a very, really, really cool time. Um, there's a documentary called uh, Don't Think I've Forgotten, which is, uh, I named a drink after one of them serving tomorrow at Libertine, actually. And it's, I saw it debut in Chicago at a film festival, and it's all about what a bustling, amazing uh, time it was. So bands from all over, even Thailand, other places, they're really influenced by psych, cha-cha, go-go, Afro-Cuban, you know, Peruvian, all these types of music, because the French were bringing that vinyl in. So it was this bustling scene, it was amazing, and then, bam, just, it was wiped out like that. I've been on the website uh, for the bar, and it's, I mean, you've got even the, the graphics on for the drinks have all have that 60s kind of Southeast Asian rock and roll vibe. Yeah, and each drink is named after um, someone of that era or a band that covers it. Now, there's an L.A. band called Dengue Fever. Um, there's a... <laughs> <'Cause> that's, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, that's okay, just pour salt on wounds. Actually, there's nothing you can do for Dengue Fever. Yeah, just no. take Tylenol. <laughs> I know it. Um, and then there's one in Phnom Penh called, uh, it's an Australian guy and a, a Cambodian girl, uh, Cambodian Space Project. Anyhow, so everything's named after that, and there's a paragraph underneath each drink to kind of explain more who this artist was or, or their story. So if you walk out, you're going to be a little drunk and also a little more educated. Well, moving in, what I really want to get into this is the nitty-gritty of this because I hear, and I mean myself included, I mean, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier before we uh, uh, kind of started recording here today, but I mean, working abroad, traveling abroad, staying there, living abroad, I mean, that's huge. Everybody wants to do it, but it's a lot harder than it seems on the surface. Absolutely. Um, and you've actually, like, gone through the process of opening a bar in Cambodia, which is even more striking because, I mean, of all countries, you know, it's, you didn't move to Rome and decide you wanted to open a bar. Like you said, that would be a little easier. Yeah. Um, you kind of went, took the hard route. I mean, what kind of challenges do you have to face? Oh my gosh. To, How to, long do we have? Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. I mean, like this, I mean, just like government regulation and, oh, and yeah. all that. I mean, you know, how much of the, is the infrastructure? Like I said, my, my family's from Thailand and I know, I mean, sometimes there's a ton of government regulation and sometimes oh. there's none. Uh, I can tell you right now there's a thousand times more regulation than, than in Cambodia. Um, the struggles are not often what you think. Um, I personally like challenges, so You I, don't say. <laughs> well, so I kind of knew what I was getting into, but I also didn't at the same time. It's like Gonzo and the Muppets. Like, I want to move to Bombay, India, become a Hollywood star. <laughs> I actually acted in some Bollywood movies. I'm did you? You did not. I swear to God. I'm going to look this up. I'm writing it down right now. I'm going to find it. Okay. 
Um, on the interweb. <laughs> on the interweb. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be able to just. I spent a month there. Yeah. To be able to Google your name, it'll pop right up. Oh, I'm like, sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, you don't know uh, which name extra. to use, right? <laughs> right. I was an extra. When I say act, I mean I was an extra. But still. That was a good point. I don't know what name to use. <laughs> um, I would say one of the biggest challenges is the cultural norm, which is in a lot of Asian countries, especially Japan too, where saying yes means no. And that is very difficult when you're talking to contractors and you are, you know, you have timelines and you know that something's supposed to be here and the water line's over here mm -hmm. and they say yes, 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 and they mean no. Uh, that's probably the, the biggest thing that I've had to struggle with. And you also can't, uh, quote unquote, call somebody out. You can never say, no, you're supposed to do this. Um, saving face is extremely important in Cambodian culture. And I'm a very blunt person. I think a lot of Midwesterners, you know, we kind of just get straight to the point. There's no dancing around. So that's probably been the biggest challenge. Um, then there's other ones of, you know, staff just having typhoid. <laughs> <laughs> can't really uh, come into work. Or um, obviously translation. Uh, Khmer or Cambodian is a, an ancient language, so things don't just translate directly. For example, pencil is um, black hand, or colored pencil is colored black hand. So when you're translating things, it, there's no direct translation. It's not, again, like a romance language. So that's a very difficult one. Um, I could go on and on. <laughs> is it, uh, a side question, is, is Khmer a tonal language? No, not as much as um, Chinese. Um, I think Mandarin is more tonal. Yeah, Mandarin and Thai. But there, there's about are. 36 vowels. Oh, wow. And it's, it's all about the end. There's, a, there's like silent consonants at the end. Um, it's not super difficult. It's not it as easy as Japanese. It kind of sounds like it could be tonal, but in a different definition. Yeah. You have it's like susnai. It's not like suicide. So it is tonal, but right. they'll still understand what you're saying, sure. even if you don't get the tone right. Gotcha. That's what I found most difficult about Thai. I, was like, I can't hear it. I think another one of the biggest uh, challenges is trying to convince people that they can drink more than lychee martinis and espresso martinis, which are the, the two biggest things, or blue margaritas. There's, they are quite literally stuck 15 years behind a lot of the world. And the thing is, there's so many expats that are used to having Manhattans or, you know, know what Amaro is. And so finally there's something that they can imbibe on, but they're still only, you know, a fifth probably of, of my clientele. So there's a lot of convincing that, yes, there's only booze in this cocktail. I know it's strong. Just try it. <laughs> <laughs> so like what is, what are the popular things right now? So actually some of my more boozy uh, brown and stirred ones are pretty popular. The most popular one is Lavian Rose Raisatia. She was a very famous, probably the most famous female singer. And it's um, pineapple uh, infused vodka. There's some grapefruit, a little bit of Campari, um, a jasmine tincture, uh, lime, because lemon is not a thing. They cost 80 cents a lemon, which is equivalent to about $5 a lemon. Wow. So it's, I, I use them for peels, but that's a really hard thing to get used to. Only lime juice. Um, and then a little bubbles. So it's just, you know, easy drinking. Anyone can, you know, it's refreshing. It is pink though, so there's guys every now and then are still like, is this a girl's drink? Uh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I, I always tell them, I said, there's no, there's no vagina in it last time I looked. Yeah. Um, I didn't see a penis in it either, so. <laughs> I, I, don't, I wasn't I don't looking real hard, but it might be in there, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think Jolie's taco uh, might be in there. I don't know. 
I'll drink All right, it. and there we go, folks. Thank you for turning in. Let's get those apple no, I mean, I ready. drink all those you know, tiki drinks. And, you know, people sure. are like, oh, you're drinking your flowery drinks or whatever. I'm like, yeah. Go ahead and keep drinking your vodka soda over there, buddy. Yeah. You, you couldn't handle one of these jet pilots. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <Like> assholes. <laughs> but I'd say the second most popular one, and uh, it's another one I'm making tomorrow night, it's um, I make a sticky rice syrup because I want to use a lot of the flavors from that region. Because the spirits that they make, I don't trust a lot of the distillation processes. There's one rum called Semi Rum. It's not far from my bar, and I've seen them. They understand how to cut the heads and the tails, and they, you know, they distill properly. So I use that. But in general, I don't want my guests to go blind. So instead of using <laughs> a lot of local spirits, actually, there's a rum from Thailand called Chilong Bay. Chilong, I, we actually drank it's a, a funky, bottle of like, it during okay, awesome. one of our uh, episodes. More irrigated we episodes. Yeah, it was definitely well irrigated. It was with a uh, cocktail wonk. Okay. Um, we drank a damn near entire bottle of it during recording. Yeah. So Oof. I carry that, and I tried, to, but as far as Cambodia goes, they're still, they, they have more um, microbreweries and whatnot for beer than spirits. So I use a lot of local flavors. Sticky rice and rice desserts are very popular, so um, I make a rice or a rice syrup with cinnamon, vanilla, sugar, you know, all the usual suspects. Strain sounds it. delicious. Yeah, it's very, like, horchata yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like horchata And then I use longan, uh, which is a, a fruit, mm-hmm. kind of looks like an eyeball, really nice, kind of lychee-esque, I guess. Um, ginger, vodka, because I need to make it approachable, and uh, lime, I think that's all. So that's another one that's pretty popular. You've got quite an abundance of uh, ingredients available to you. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, there's so much fruit there. It's it's hard not to try to use it all. You say you're pouring that at Liberty tomorrow night? Yes. Yeah. I guess yeah. what we know what we're doing tomorrow night. <laughs> Maybe. What time? Uh, 7 to midnight. All right. Cool. So, um, I mean, you've mentioned quite a lot of booze available. You've got some of that is not available in the U.S. Like Cholong Bay is not right. here. Yeah, we can get um, um, Havana Club. We can get Americon. <laughs> but I mean, how hard is it to get some of those other brands that you're used to in the states? I know you've talked a lot about Chartreuse, but I mean, how much of that have you had to really fight to get? Because I know I've read. Um, I guess maybe I heard an interview on the Speakeasy with um, Chris Ladder talking about the kind of obstacles he's had to overcome to get some good booze into South Korea. Yeah. Korea is a little bit more regulated. Um, there are no rules in Cambodia. The only rule is that uh, if you're in a tight place, you pay somebody and you're going to get out of it. So as far as importing and whatnot, it's very easy. And again, anything that can get to Singapore, which is quite literally anything because proven company is amazing what they do, um, we can get. So I don't have as much of the same problems that he has, okay. just as far as um, lax regulation goes. Gotcha. Well, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. Chris so, Ladder's a hero, though. He's great. Yeah, and he just released his... I know, uh, all of his, his secrets, specs. all his recipes. No, that's amazing. He's making big headlines for doing that. Yeah. Are your um, customers primarily Cambodian or, or expats? They're mostly expats. Really? There are... Um, What's an expat? People that didn't come from Cambodia. Actually, that's a good point. Um, they're technically more immigrants. Okay. You know? I mean, if you th- we call them expats, but they live there. They've lived there 5, 10, 15 years. Oh, okay. So they're permanent. Uh, yeah. Um, and then we get a lot of tourists, too, that have heard about it because there's not tons to choose from. It's either kind of big clubby bars or, you know, local. So, yeah, mostly expat or uh, Western, as you will. Primarily Australian and French, because that's where the NGOs uh, are. Gotcha. But there's um, s- several Cambodian. It's a strange 
tier. Most people are poor. There is a middle class that's growing exponentially. And then there's that tiny sliver of just insanely wealthy people who, you know, have 15 sports cars and What's security guards and cost of living. Uh, it can be very inexpensive and it can be just like living in Chicago. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've gone out sometimes and spent 50 to $100 per person on dinner because they're really nice French restaurants. There's, you know, you can live on $5 a day. I would say most people like me live on $30, $40 a day. So they're still pretty heavy French influence? Very much so. Yeah. Which is nice. Because you speak French. Well, and I like uh, wine and cheese. And, sure. And good really, bread. So there's like a cheese. I, this is, it always sounds like a bad pun when I say it. There's a cheese culture there. There is. <laughs> there's quite a few places that that's, have the best camembert and yeah. That's striking because I've yet to witness that in Asia. Cambodians <laughs> don't eat it. Oh, and of course. It's, and yeah. it's very expensive because they know that the only people that eat it are white people, so they jack up the price. But it's worth it. <laughs> white people eat it. That's true. Uh, you're, like I said, when we started this whole conversation, so, you know, like I said, a lot of people are curious about going abroad and working and doing this, but it's, as you've just laid out, it's a lot trickier than it seems on the surface. And there's, you know, I, again, I could go for hours. There's, it's been so stressful at times that I've actually developed, you know, physical ailments because of it. And I know that opening places is stressful. It always is. There's things that will go wrong inevitably, but, um... My business partner lives in Chicago, and I actually have to go through him, and then he translates to his parents in French, and then they translate into Cambodian to like our oh, wow. our help. All right. Uh, it's it can be a nightmare at times. So if somebody's going over as like a non-owner, you know, you're operating. Yeah. But if somebody's going over there just to kind of like, or not even to Cambodia anywhere. Like, what, what's a bartender going to learn by going abroad? I mean, you know, what do you gain from that by going abroad to kind of... I feel I have learned so much that wherever I open next will just be a piece of cake. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Because so we'll do if you can do year. something, <laughs> if you can do something, you know, with somebody who doesn't speak your language, I've actually have to speak in French more than anything because a lot of the more educated or the worker people can speak in French. So if you can do that against social norms when they're saying yes and they mean no, if you can do things like that and actually still pull it off, then, oh my gosh, you speak the same language as me? You're actually telling me the truth? Um, do you have anything planned here in the States? Um, we still would like to do something uh, around vermouth. And, and low ABV focused. It's just so saturated, especially Chicago. I feel like something's opening every single week and it's getting to the point where, you know. Vermouth is becoming quite a big deal as well since yeah. the last time you like kind of conceptualized it before you went to Cambodia. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell, since the last time you've been here, if it's been a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. what we can get now and different places having different types of Amaros and mm -hmm. being heavy on Amaros and bitters. I mean, bitters, uh uh, the last time I was at Belena, it was like, there's a huge list of vermouth sitting right in front of you. And there's a arrive. place that's open and closed within a year called Bombala in Chicago, and it was fantastic. It was, you know, tapas and, and vermouth focus. They had it on tap. They had acha. I don't know if you've ever had that. Basque region. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. But, yeah, they closed. And Sucks. it wasn't because, you know, they weren't great. They got all the acclaim, but you just have to have that magical... Um, recipe when you're in a big city. There's so many places opening. I feel like, and that was a conversation we were having this morning. I mean, in every city that's now kind of seeing this growing food scene, 
it's starting to become so competitive and everybody wants to kind of hit the hot new places and you know it's you know becoming an institution of a city is becoming a lot more difficult than it used to be yeah um, I mean, even for like a steakhouse. I mean, here in Indianapolis, we have St. Elmo's Steakhouse that's been here forever. Right. Um, I mean, I'm not a regular patron of there, but I mean, it's been there for way longer than I've been around. I worked at Reese Chris when I was 17. <clears throat> Did you? Know? you? <laughs> um, but I was just in Columbus, Ohio, even, and you know they have a scene. Every place is is. Yeah, there's a developing scene there. Is is going there? The now. whole country, I think, is kind of going through this, and it's and a lot of cities. You know, the question is like, how do we deal with this? You know, because and it's all brand new for everybody. Yeah. And you can't really look to Chicago or New York or San Francisco to kind of figure out, you know, like a game plan. Because those cities are kind of unto themselves. They, yeah. they have been their own entities for so long that, you know, that doesn't represent what our city is like or what Columbus, Ohio is like or Louisville, Kentucky is like. So yeah. you kind of have to figure out how do we do our own thing and stay in business. And Absolutely. I guess tricky. And, and here in Indianapolis, it's been rough because, you know, the neighborhood identity fell away, I think, and where in a lot of cities it didn't. So we're starting, the neighborhoods are now starting to kind of become a lot more identified historically where they have been, you know, sure. like Fountain Square, Irvington. Fletcher Place, Irvington. Taking on distinction, their own Right, own yeah, I mean, you know, you could even go into Pittsburgh and it's distinctly cut up into your, you know, uh, different different areas and whatnot. But, I mean, is, is that... Does that exist in Phnom Penh as well? Or? There's like three areas, yeah. if that, that people know. And mine's one of the least known, so if you look up tourism, it doesn't really pop up. But once you go, there's a whole string. They call them micro bars, you know, tiny just little cocktail places that are beautiful, have great interiors. Um, it's really cool. So there's a cocktail culture in Cambodia. There is. I would say the – so there's a – company called La Familia and they import from Proof and Company. So they're the ones responsible for bringing in our Amari, our Mezcal, all the things that you wouldn't think you can get in Cambodia. And they also just opened up a bar called Elbow Room just down the street. So there's we have Jen. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Entirely different. Oh, I, completely different. Uh, <laughs> Jen Queen is the main uh, bartender. She's from San Diego. And uh, Andre, who lives in Singapore. So they opened that one. And they're Pretty much the only other ones doing the same kind of level or the same Western, I guess, call it, uh, cocktail scene. But it's growing. So ever since we've opened, places around us have, have hired consultants. We actually started a consulting firm. People are now paying to up their game. They're realizing that they can't just have the same old crappy list that everybody does. Um, so we're getting the wheels turning. Even in the short year that we've been open, the, the wheels are turning. The gears are. So that's so, like good to see perceptions are changing yes. about what cocktails should be exactly i mean you know i guess i when i go to bangkok you know when you order a cocktail they're still like you said stuck in 1985 i mean you can go and and get a cocktail menu and it's tequila sunrise yeah. uh, it's on the same list you know, everywhere you pink go lady you yeah. know, margarita blue margarita you know, some, yes blue it's margarita. gotta be blue it's, it's lots of blue stuff yeah and <laughs> i mean and, it, and it's really hard to, like, find a decently made cocktail. Or, of course, the big drink um, in, in Thailand is whiskey soda. Yeah. Um, have you been to Vesper in I, Bangkok? I have not. It's fantastic. One of the best cocktail bars I've been to. On my list. Phnom Penh, they're starting to, you know, hand carve ice. Um, the first trip that I went, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I uh, ordered a Negroni. And, you know, it's fine. It's hard to screw up a Negroni. I'll, I'm sure the vermouth wasn't refrigerated, and it was crappy ice, so it... 
diluted right away, but it was nonetheless a Negroni. My friend tasted it, Cambodian guy. He's like, oh, it's so bitter. And I'm like, I get it, you know. It's not for everybody. Bitter's not for everyone. Scotch isn't for everybody. I get it. I uh, didn't think anything of it. And he's sitting there with his lychee martini, very happy. And then a couple trips later, he was so excited. He came to me. He's like, guess what? I order Negronis now. I like them. So that really kind of gave me a spark that taste can change, that just because you're ordering the same thing you always have doesn't mean that you're never going to evolve or grow or, or discover other spirits. Sure. So I well, named a drink after him. At least they're in the uh, teeny era or about five to ten years above you know last time i was in bangkok of course it's been a little it's been a few years so things could have changed since then and i know there are, they have been yeah because i've been following uh, several of the bars that are happening over there but i mean this cambodia thing was out of left field for me when you moved there yeah. it was like wow that <laughs> I, was <clears throat> that same, was an interesting move yeah same thing for beckley opening the pontiac in hong kong she didn't really tell anybody she was at clyde common you working under morgenthaler for so many years and didn't tell anybody. Next thing you know, she's like, yep, all right, here I am in Hong Kong, and here's my bar. And, you know, Hong Kong's a huge bustling city, but there's really not a huge cocktail culture there yet. So really? she's been kind of, in a way that we would describe, yes. There's hmm. not a lot. So what are they drinking? Um, kind of the same thing that you're talking about. There's a yeah. few places, like Lobster Bar. Um, it's in a hotel bar. It's very fancy, where there's a jazz It sounds fancy. There. Yeah. But I think that made it into, you know, world's 50 best. There's, there's a couple, but Beckley is trying to do the whole dive bar. And, uh, like, there's a girls that get on the bar every night at midnight, and they play midnight special, and they pour shots of Becker <laughs> into people's mouths. But they also really know how to make drinks, too. Nice. So, yeah. There, there's a few of us out there. Chris Louder as well, and his wife, Michaela, was there for a long time. So we would get together and do events, um, Singapore Cocktail Week. So we kind of support each other and hold each other when we're down and... <laughs> It sounds like Singapore is kind of this it's the like, hub. hub. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of stuff's coming out of there. I mean, yes. I'm starting to see more and more bartenders going to, and looking to Asia, a way to kind of make their bones. I mean, do you think that's the next big thing? I think so. Uh, Japan has established itself for sure. They're more technique driven, I think. Um, it's not as much of, oh, look, I came up with this crazy creative concept. And, you know, it's, it's not to show off your unique or creativeness, but technique driven. They, you know, they have it literally down to a science. Mm-hmm. So many people go there to to work under for that. Um, but Singapore is definitely the leader in the game. Um, 28 Hong Kong Street is, is the main one. Employees only just opened up uh, there. They've got the whole game. They even have a place that specializes in um, South American spirits, uh, South and Central uh, Vasco, so it's Pisco, it's Mezcal. They don't even, you know, they don't carry vodka. And they're proud of that. Nice. So it's, it's, a, it's a really cool scene there. It's a very sterile city other than that. Yeah. It's a, kind of a big mall. There's not a lot of character to it, but the bar scene is legit. Just be careful to not get caned. Arthur. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's very clean Don't know for a reason. <laughs> I would never get in trouble. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like two bad combinations for me. Hey, we have all these amazing bars. Behave yourself or you're screwed. Yeah, one time I put my cigarette butt, uh, sorry, Mom, uh, on the ground. Actually, you know, just you just think about it. And uh, I, I look down and I, my heart stops. Oh, my God, does somebody see me? I'm going to jail. <laughs> it's not that bad, though. The reputation is... Uh, a little misleading. So we've kind of talked through the whole episode about you being the opening operator of Le Boutier in, in Cambodia. But uh, the bad news is, is that you just resigned your position. Um, 
I didn't resign. I stepped away as that from day to day. So I'm still an owner. So you're still involved. I'm very involved. Oh, yes. If you look at my email, I've already you know, sent 30 emails today regarding issues. Okay. So I'm an owner. Um, I was only supposed to be there for four months. It just took a lot longer to get the ball rolling and to make sure that I felt comfortable with the staff and that they could handle it because there's just so much training and retraining. That's another challenge. When you train somebody there, they don't retain it. It takes, you have to go back the next day and say, what did I say yesterday? And then do that again and again and again. It's um, such a learning curve. So yeah, instead of four months, it was a year and been doing consulting for several different places uh, around Cambodia. And our next project is going to be in Siem Reap, which is where Angkor Wat uh, okay. is, which is according to TripAdvisor, the number one tourist destination in the world. I don't know if that's true or not, but full of tourists at all times of the year. So. We're going to consult for about four months, do a speakeasy, just passe in a lot of places, but once again, we're 10 a years behind. A speakeasy in Cambodia? Yeah, so... Was there prohibition in Cambodia? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a sense. Yeah, right. I guess in like, the 70s, you, couldn't, you, couldn't you were live. allowed to have rice. <laughs> yeah, you weren't allowed to live. Yeah, wow. That's, that's an interesting concept to make its way overseas. Yeah. Like, here's a very American concept uh, when we couldn't drink. Yeah, I mean, I've done... Just wondering how that would be received. I guess you just We're call about it. to find out. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned the next time that Anna Marie comes in. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what's next for the group. I mean, but you are kind of floating around a little bit, deciding where to call home. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised a spirit brand or somebody hasn't tried to pick you up the, to do some ambassador. The brand game is completely different out there. It's hardly anything at all. So I've worked some events. There's one person I know that worked for Panover Card. You know, here everyone does. They've got big pockets and do great work. Um, there's one person I know. Every, and there's a lot of people that work for wines. Um, I'm not on your level with my knowledge, so that wouldn't be a good fit for me. Uh, it's just not a thing. There's, mm. th- there's three big brands out there. It's, you know, Hennessy. Johnny Walker, Shivas, so, and they even probably only have two to three people on the on the ground out there. Stoli just started to have a bit more of a presence, but it's not like it is out here. I was hoping so. I mean, I've done a lot of brand work in the states and was kind of hoping I could get some side work that way, but huh. uh, they're just not there yet. Surprised. I mean, you're quite young to have accomplished all of this. I think 35 is young. Is it? Yeah. I, I okay. mean, it, it is for us. <laughs> right. All right, yeah. All right I'll like, take it. For the 20-year-olds out there, maybe not. I mean, they're like, oh, my God, she's ancient. But for us, we're like, oh, you're a young girl. Um, I mean, is this is this the plan for the rest? You know, you're just going to kind of, the rest of your life, it's kind of. I don't know. I, I mean, you've got kind of built-in travel. You're consulting for these cool bars. You're an owner of a business in Southeast Asia, which is pretty kick-ass. Yeah. I, I could not tell you. If you asked me five years ago where I'd be, I would never tell you Cambodia, you know. Um, so I try my best not to predict the future because who sure. knows? I try not to say no a lot to opportunity. Uh, Ho Chi Minh is a very tempting uh, option right now. We've had a few meetings with investors, and if we can pull that off, I'd really like to do that. That'd be amazing. They've got a huge middle class. They go out three times a week. It's almost 10 million people, 20 million if you um, account for the you know suburbs, and there's some really cool things happening there. That'd be amazing. Is there any place um, you haven't been yet that you want to go to? Um, Australia, New Zealand, I would really like to go to, but I usually pretty much only go where work takes me. And so far, that hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened. But hmm. New Zealand seems phenomenal. 
Hmm. They have a lot of hobbits there. <laughs> and a lot of sheep. <laughs> and a lot of sheep. A lot of sheep. There's uh, 10 sheep per person. You were, Did really? you just make that up? No. 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 Seriously, the, the population is 4 million and there's 40 million sheep. Wow. All right. Let's see what kind of tincture we can do with wool. <laughs> yeah. Let's get the terroir of... <laughs> a lot of, lot of sheep milks cheese. I think it was yeah. Mark Twain that said, um, there are far too many sheep. <laughs> That's a great quote. It's deep. I think someone said there's far too many sheep. Yep. Yeah. There's a quoting about New Zealand, far too many sheep. <laughs> well, you were just giving props to some uh, New Zealand wine a couple weeks ago, weren't you? Yeah, that was the um, Mai Mai, the North Island Syrah. Absolutely awesome. Delicious stuff. And very reasonable, too. So you, how can people follow your exploits? Uh, you got social media accounts for Le Boutier? Or? Yes, we do. Um, we have got a Facebook and Instagram for Le Boutier. And you Facebook? want to spell that for everybody sure. that doesn't speak French? So Le Boutier. So it's L-E space B-O-U-T-I-E-R. Uh, we're far more active on Facebook, and that's because I'm a bad Twitterer. I've always been a bad Twitterer. I suck at tweeting. I, yeah, yeah, I'm tweeting, still tweeting. Just, <laughs> If yeah. I had enough money, I'd hire somebody to do it, but I'm not quite there yet. Maybe one day. So Here, Facebook Donald Trump's pretty active. Oh, he geez. might be able yeah, to Yeah, maybe we should hire him. He's probably got some free time, There'll right? You don't want anything spelled of, correctly. <laughs> or intelligent. of Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Mm. The, um, so that's going to be... This is going to be interesting in the next few years for you. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see what happens. I, to be honest, now that we have this new president, I'm not excited about coming back <laughs> right away. Back to Chicago, right? Uh, I'm not ruling it out, but how far of a trip is that to from uh, Phnom Penh to Ho Chi Minh? To Ho Chi Minh, mm-hmm. um, about eight hours if you take a bus, or you can fly for very quickly. This is where we get screwed as Americans. It's like eight-hour bus ride here. We might be in, like, Missouri. You're still in the States. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're still... I mean, you can't even make it across Texas in eight hours. And you go to no, Europe, you're across 17 countries. I don't know if you can make it halfway. And, yeah. Yeah, no, not really. Yeah, you might not get halfway to Texas No, that's eight hours. That's, that's always my big uh, complaint. I mean, no, it's not a complaint, I guess, but I just... I wish the... Uh, it's a little easier to get around out of the U.S. Because yeah. all my European friends, my Asian friends are like, oh, I'm... In Japan next week, and I'm going to Korea. Going here for the weekend. Going here. Yeah, right. Singapore yeah. is an hour and a half flight, and it's you can get it for 75 bucks. You know, it's that whole region, the way that it's laid out, especially um, you know Vietnam and Thailand. There's really long, strange shapes. You just hop around. It's great. What's the climate like in Cambodia? I mean, like, is, I mean, I know it's hot. And, is the whole country very, very, very hot? Yes. Is there no mountainous ranges or anything like that? Not particularly. Okay. They, again, going back to no regulation, they've got rid of a lot of trees. Uh, it's very sad, actually. A lot of Vietnam goes in and, I you and takes you say they them. got rid of the mountains. <laughs> well, <laughs> Damn. Yeah, they're powerful. They don't fuck uh, around. works project. So a lot of the, it's a lot of flatlands. Um, down south, there's beautiful islands, just as beautiful as some of the Thai, uh, Thai ones, like Koh Samui. Um, some really nice islands down there. So it's more tropical, blue waters, white sand, whatnot. Uh, up north, it's a little bit more jungly, um, where all the temples are, which go back to the 5th century. They're amazing. You can spend a week there and still not see them all. Uh, but it's generally around 91. That seems to be the magic number. Yeah. There is a rainy season. It's not too bad. It usually just rains from, it's almost like clockwork, from about 2 o'clock to 5 p.m. It'll rain, then it stops. Does the rainy season hit real hard? Only a couple days will it literally monsoon and the street turns into a river. And okay. the funny thing is, is that's the happiest time for everyone. Well, 
the people that the local people kids run out in the street they're naked they're just screaming and laughing and they do kind of a slip and slide on this <laughs> really bumpy gravelly road oh, wow. on their stomach they're just so excited they're elated that the rain's happening and then the rest of us are like trying to hide from it <laughs> so you said you're at liberty tomorrow yes are you anywhere this evening uh my mother's house Making drinks at the mom's. <laughs> so we will get your mom's food. house in a couple hours. All right, so it's on 74. <laughs> right. Look at mom, here we come. Yeah. And then um, how long are you in town for? Until New Year's Eve, and then I head to Chicago. And I'm going to do another pop-up at Bar DeVille, a place I worked for a little bit. Uh, going to do the same kind of thing. Cambodian flavors feature half of my cocktail menu there. And L.A., and then back to uh, Cambodia. Is there a, a brand sponsoring tomorrow night at Libertine? No. Okay. Just curious. Is it too late? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, this is a shout-out for anybody. Oh, wait. Well, this is going to be a few weeks late by the time we get it up. Yeah, right. <laughs> get on the phone. Text some people. I am. As, since I did used to work for Chuck Truce, I'm getting a few bottles uh, up for DeVille. In case nice. you guys are in Chicago around the 3rd. Might be an excess idea. of... Chartreuse shots. Alcohol and sugar. I can yeah. make that happen. That doesn't cause a hangover ever. <laughs> right. Well, speaking thereof. Speaking thereof, um, you have a particular hangover cure? Coconut water. Absolutely. Um, I thought you were going to say absolute. <laughs> Coconut water and vodka. <laughs> and then as, uh, sitting down in the shower. I don't know why that always does it for me. And then, of course, hair of the dog. Don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah. Say hair of the dog saved my ass on Christmas. Yeah. Well, Did it? I, I was late at Liberty. I guess the night before because it was Christmas Eve. Actually, Pokari Sweat. Did you ever have that in Japan? It's like a kind of like a sweet Gatorade. It really does a trick too, though. I bet you can get it in a vending machine. Probably. Vending machine crazy. Not around here. Well, just over there. I mean, they have vending machines with vending machines. Right. In them. <laughs> you can buy a vending machine That's in anyone. That's a beer. <laughs> Mitch Edward. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank Henri, you for having for me. It was and, a pleasure. Uh, yeah, this was awesome. I would love to, like, you know, every time you cross through town, please, you know, hit us yeah, up. And, fascinating uh, travels. Great. Thank you. It's, it's yeah, pretty I impressive. Mean, we might be talking about Vietnam the next time. I you're, hope so. Uh, that would, that would be amazing. And I will definitely look you up the next time I'm in Southeast Asia, which... Better yeah. be soon. I'd like to make it soon. There's a, definitely a Cuba trip happening at some point in the I'm next so year. I'm so jealous of that. Keep us all uh, abreast hey, I'll, I'll, of that I'll, as well. I'll keep you uh, in tune. You know, Maybe you can pop over there with us. That'd be real cool. Um, for those of you out there that want to follow us on social media, we are Shift Drink Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we occasionally tweet stuff. Um, that's going to be Shift underscore drink, but we're not good... What did you say, Arthur? Twitters? We're not, we're not good Twitters either. Tweeters. Yeah. Tweeters. We're no, you're no Trumps. We, we are no Trumps. We, we, we do try to spell everything correctly, though. Um, but until next time, hey, thank you so much. I know you've got limited time in the States, and I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to, to hang out with us. And, thank you so much. Um, maybe we, we've encouraged some bartenders out there to go abroad and expand their horizons. Take a chance. It's worth it. Everything that's rewarding doesn't come without... Cheer, uh, fear and challenge, I would say. There you go. Everything rewarding does not come without fear and challenge. You can put that on a t-shirt <laughs> and purchase it at shiftdrinkpodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much. This yeah, is awesome. It's a pleasure. Have a great evening. Thank you.